0: Welcome to the Northwest Food Show. My name is Greg Astley, and this is Boiled Down, the podcast for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. We are sitting down today with Chef Marcus Samuelson.
1: Welcome, Chef. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we're excited, too. This is uh, this is a, a great opportunity for us, and... Uh, we're just uh, we're just so pleased to have you with us here today. I've got a, a couple of things I wanted to uh, ask you about, um, and I want to start with uh, some of your backgrounds. Um, you've got an amazing background. You've got travels and culinary experience from Scandinavia, uh, Africa, Mexico, Italy, and the American South, just to name a few. So I'm not going to ask you for a favorite cuisine because it's like asking for your favorite kid, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not yeah. going to go there, but. Uh, can you just briefly talk about maybe how some of those cultures and their food have inspired you and your cooking?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that I've been blessed and i and, and so fortunate to be able to travel. I mean, when you have a. I was born in African Ethiopia in a small village, but I was raised extremely opposite in the, in the Sweden, in the northern part of Europe. But food was the talking point and the center of both those cultures, very different. One was spicy and filled with a lot of different uh, fermentation and the Swedish one also a lot of preserves but through salt and through vinegars instead Um, but you know for a kid like me that I've been able to work with food all over the world from Japan to France to America my first thing is always I when someone say where they're from I always look think about what food first have I been there have I eaten there what did I have can I make the dishes from those places and it's, it's just a, such a great way to have a conversation with people.
0: Yeah, food really is a, a common denominator, obviously. We all share it, and, and people talk about breaking bread. It's mm. a lot of family memories. Um, do you have a favorite family memory of,
1: of food? And yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't be here talking to you, and I don't know what we would be doing if it wouldn't be for my grandmother, Helga. She's really the one that, um, you know, every, sa- every Saturday and, and Wednesdays, um, just randomly in the middle of the week, we it was up to her house right after school, and you you helped out. You were working, whether it was pickling something or foraging, whether it was strawberry season or blueberry season or pickling herring season or or picking mushroom season. It was always a season for something, right? So that idea that we 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 eating from our nature, right, um, come from her. We don't waste anything because it took a lot of time. So the breadcrumbs were not bought; they were they were basically, um, you know, real br- handmade breadcrumbs, and they filled the meatballs or, or meatloaf. So, so I, I wouldn't be here without her. And I think about uh, the Saturday when we had her hand; um, which used to make this roasted hen, and then the next day, that was on on Sunday actually, was a hen soup mm. with both potatoes and rice and carrots and vegetables from our garden. So. Uh, summertime, the, the, it changed a little bit, then I was fishing with my uncles, so then we basically ate fish six days a week, yeah. uh, and uh, it, it taught me about eating based on a spiritual compass, so we fished in the morning, we gave out some fish to the elderly or the people who couldn't go out, we preserved some, whether we smoked it or pickled it, and we sold some to the tourists, right? So it, it gives you this full cycle of what to do with nature. That's great. I,
0: I didn't realize there was a pickled herring season, so I'm, I'm glad to know that now.
1: Herring runs in spring, <laughs> early summer. Yeah. That means uh, late summer, fall, you're busy pickling, preserving. Right. Uh, there's a pre-preserving that happens right after, in before that, and then it goes into very often smoking or, or packaging. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I just learned something.
0: Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so you've got restaurants in uh, Sweden, Bermuda, America, and your newest one is opening in Montreal at the yeah. Four Seasons. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us uh, about the latest eatery?
1: Well, we were very excited to be cooking in Montreal. It's such a great food town, I and mean, hopefully, we can add, uh, we can be a nice addition to that. Working with Four Seasons has really been a pleasure. They're they're absolutely amazing to work with, and and um, you know, like I said, Montreal's food scene is incredible already, and it's been a great. Journey for the last two years to learn about it and figuring out uh, the seasonality. So, our f- restaurant's going to be based on seafood. So, really, homecoming for me a big raw bar, big grill, where we're just going to focus on local and fresh ingredients, sustain, for, focus a lot on sustainability, and so on, and pickling and preserving. So.
0: That sounds great. Mm. Um, really excited to, to see what you guys are going to do there. So you've been to the Northwest before. Obviously, you were just in, in Seattle. We were talking about a little bit before the show. But uh, where have you eaten here in, in Portland in particular? Yep. And did you have some places that were kind of on your, your must try list? Well, I had
1: a great dinner at Departure with with Chef Greg yesterday. Uh, and he was actually, as a chef, you're fortunate when you meet other chefs So I was a guinea pig for the new spring menu, and it's great. You should go (laughs) run over there because we had some incredible food. And and, um, it was a balance between what's local in season, but also some of the favorite sort of Southeast Asian cooking that he's doing. Uh, It was just super delicious. Uh, Hopefully I can run by Puk Puk. uh, I'm I'm ready to do the line, Andy. I'm ready yeah. to do the line, <laughs> uh, and it, it's just it's just great to be here. I was just in Seattle about six weeks ago, and we were filming my PBS show, No Passport Required, but mm-hmm. the Filipino community, the rich Filipino community in Seattle. So anytime you're in the northwest region, it it doesn't it doesn't it's far away from Sweden, but it's the part of America that reminds me most of Sweden because of the mountains and because of the weather and access to water different types of waters too so i was always like wow this reminds me of home that's nice we don't have the wine though we don't <laughs> we, we have the beer but we can't we can't go head to head with wine we cannot well we'll have you back
0: anytime we're, we're happy to break open a bottle of wine with you yeah. as well so uh you're you're an incredibly busy guy i mean you've got everything that you do on the media you've you're, you've been a, a judge on chopped and top chef and you've got your restaurants and. You're also involved with several charities. And I know yeah. you've got some that are kind of near and dear to your heart, including UNICEF. And you have your own charity, the Three Goats Organization, uh, and the Careers Through Culinary Arts Program, or yeah. CCAP. So, you know, you know, obviously, workforce development is a huge issue it in is. the restaurant industry.
1: Uh, tell us a little bit about the CCAP program yeah. and how they're
0: helping address that.
1: Well, I think my, my wife's and my commitment to be involved with charities is really if you, you were two kids coming from Ethiopia that were helped by others right? So the kindness of others has really been the through line through our life. We always had organizations or mentors or communities that helped us. And um, so it's our pleasure and opportunity to give back. c was started by Richard Grossman's career through culinary arts, which really helps inner city kids in high school. We guide them um, through a competition, but also give them scholarships. And a chance to be part of our amazing industry, right? And we have great partnerships, companies like U.S. Foods and and um, CIA and Johnson & Wales. So it's not just the opportunity to get into school. It's also how to be coached throughout. And then when you come back out in the industry, as you know, our industry has now grown to many things. You can work, you can be a food journalist, mm-hmm. you can be a blogger, you can be a chef, of course. You can work in food tech. There's all these opportunities. So if you start in hospitality and you're starting cooking, you might end up working for, for Amazon or something like that. So it's really about putting out, re- learning life skills through culinary experience. We have it in nine states now, and um, it's been going on for over 25, uh, almost 30 years now. And um, it brings out the best of each other from the students to the teachers to the chefs to the mentors. Anyone can help out and it's a, it's a good team feeling it's really good teamwork you know
0: That's great well It's an important role that you're playing, obviously. As I said, you know, the the workforce development is such a big issue. And you mentioned uh, reaching out to the the kids and if you wanted to get started. So I I know you have several cookbooks. Obviously, Mm. I have several of your cookbooks. Um, And you also have a a memoir, but you've written a kid's Mm. version of that as well. Yeah, yeah. So what would you tell kids? And by kids, I mean young kids Mm. who love to cook. What kind of words of wisdom would you give them or tell them about having a a career in hospitality and and being a chef?
1: I think for me it's about... Be passionate, stick with something that you're really passionate about, and don't be afraid to reach out to find mentors, you know, that can guide you. Uh, there's so many choices today. It can be so confusing. We didn't certainly didn't have certain social media when we were growing up, so I think it was less pressure in a way, you know, but... Uh, Cooking has taken me all over the world. It's a, it's a one of the oldest profession, right? Mm-hmm. We really come out of domestic. and But for me, I never looked, I, I take so much pleasure and joy of serving and being served. Um, and the amount of teamwork that I've experienced, uh, doesn't matter whether you're in Japan or, or, or Portland, cooks are givers. And if you find something like that, that you really can hold on to, um, ask for help, reach out in your community and figure out what's my path and plan how can i get through this and once you come and got a job in it you got to quickly reach back out and say who can i lift up who can i help out
0: that's great advice thank you
1: So the last thing I, I want to
0: ask you about is, uh, as I mentioned, I have uh, I know about you. I've, I've mm-hmm. seen you on TV, and I've got your cookbooks. I appreciate the work that you do. But I was boning up, wanted to make sure I had the latest information. So I went to your website, and on there uh, you have a recipe labeled Black Panther Recipe Breakfast. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about the story behind the name of that and the, yeah. d- the dish? Because that sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about African-American history and, and culture and information in this country, It's not, you know, I feel it's a lot of miseducation, misinformation. Mm -hmm. And when you think about a group like Black Panthers, that were for a long time, you know, get all kinds of labels, right? Mm -hmm. And we wanted to focus about something that was really good and community-driven in our community. I live in Harlem, so the Black Panthers breakfast program was extremely important to that community about bringing people together. And it was also very often for the community at that point for a lot of young students, it was the only breakfast that they got, mm. right? So sometimes we're very quick on label groups and to certain things. Uh, and and uh, I think it's important to um, people's r- struggles and for civil rights have to go through very difficult means, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, Nelson Mandela was w- at one point considered, ANC was considered a terrorist group, right? So we think about these words and where we label things. But um, Black Panther's uh, breakfast program was something I wanted to highlight because um, it is about community and um, we've, we hear so much about one side of things, but you know what? There was also a lot of important stuff that was came through that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and, and highlighting it as well because yeah. it's important. So. Yeah. Chef, thank you so much for being a part of the thank Boiled Down podcast me. and for being here today. Thank you so uh, much. Looking forward to seeing you up on the stage a little later. Yeah. All right. Thank thanks. You. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Boiled Down, the podcast for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. My name is Greg Astley. I'm your host. With me today is Executive Chef Bo Carr from Ringside Steakhouse. Welcome, Chef.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: We, uh, we really appreciate this. You just came off of the main stage doing a, a yes. cooking demo, and now you're here at the podcast for us. So yeah. you're, you're running around a little bit I this am. morning with us. <laughs> um,
2: got a full dance card. Well, that's good. Well, uh,
0: you've always got a full dance card from what it sounds like. You've right. got a lot going on. Um, so let's start with that. I mean, you've participated in the Versus competition mm-hmm. uh, at Plaza del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, two chefs kind of square off in a culinary duel. Yep, if you will. That's, that's the deal. Um, and they give you the ingredients that you have to use. You have like a month.
2: Yeah, there's a yeah, they, they we had there's a, a certain ingredient for each dish and then you have to build your dish around that that featured ingredient. So so that's
0: what can fun. you tell us about how participating in that has maybe helped you as a chef or or changed maybe your perception, or, or you know your use of ingredients even.
2: Um, well, food competitions are interesting anyway because <laughs> competitive cooking is <laughs> is is kind of a, a funny thing. Yeah. Uh, because it's so subjective, of course. There's a there's a saying in matters of taste: there's no debate, right? So, but um, I guess it is a uh, uh, the audience decides what they like best. Um, so yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I I think the deal is to do something, uh, to do something unique with the ingredient that they that they give you. Try to do something different. Um, I, if I recall, it was a while back that I did that, but I think uh, strawberries was one of the uh, was one of the ingredients. And was it octopus? My goodness, yes, octopus was one of them. <laughs> yep, that's a good one. Right? Yeah, yeah, octopus takes a little technique. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: Good. Yeah. Uh, do, do you find that it helped, maybe, like I said, push yourself a little bit or, or, or think differently about food because you because you were trying to do a competition? You
2: yeah, know? yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's also educational because of course you see what the other chef is doing. And you're like, ah, I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no, I don't, I don't know how this is going to turn out. So yeah, it's it's always it's always uh, always a challenge to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well,
0: speaking of challenges, you've been at Ringside since 1998.
2: Correct. Okay, so
0: if my math is Right, and that's a hard subject for me, but that's 21 years. <laughs> 21, yeah, just okay. a little over 21 now. You've seen a lot then in 21 years at ringside. Indeed. And obviously, you know, your menu's changed a little bit. Things have done. Mm-hmm. What What have you seen in the Portland food scene that's changed, and what do you see happening maybe in the future? And I, I won't hold you to it, but.
2: No, I, I, think, um, I think in the late 90s um, there was – Certainly, that was the beginnings of of or the bare beginnings, I think, of Portland really becoming uh, the food city that it is. I think a lot of the the premier chefs um, around the city now were were starting out. Um, there was a lot of of influence from uh, chefs like Thomas Keller uh, on the new scene. So so yeah, I've watched that. I've watched that evolve. Um, and, and at Ringside, we've tried to, obviously, we have to stick to uh, what we are, which is a classic American steakhouse. Um, but we have also, uh, I think in a big way, and it has been uh, really a, a, a goal of mine, to kind of have a foot in each um, of, the, of those things, a classic American steakhouse, but still reflecting the food forward scene in portland yeah and so we we uh we try to do that there and i think we we pull it off
0: (laughs) well let's let's talk about some of those dishes for just a minute and i want to start with the forward one what what is something new that you've been able to introduce in the last couple of years maybe that you feel has really kind of pushed that boundary or or helped you to establish something a little different
2: well i think technique wise if i could just speak technique wise i think um sous vide cooking is is a huge um uh, has been a huge benefit for us um, we we utilize it um, both for uh like overnight cooking um, which it 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 can take the place of the traditional braise where which braising is is a higher heat and it's more uh it's more of a uh, a dry method in the sense that it you you can't really braise without overcooking the product uh-huh. um, but with sous vide you can uh, you can flavor and tenderize and get a lot of those same aspects without actually um, cooking the heck out of the out of the steak <laughs> or, whatever, or the the uh, roast or whatever it is you're doing. So um, and sous vide just has so many great applications. Um, that also for for special events, it's a fantastic way to uh, prepare um, lots of uh, center of the plate items. Um, in a, in a very precise way, um, especially what we do with steaks. Um, when you use sous vide, you can. Uh, it, it's almost like I don't. I hate to use this term, but it's almost like set it and forget it. Uh, because the thing about sous vide is the circulator holds the water bath at an exact temperature, and it. So your steaks can't overcook. Right. All you have to do is finish them up right before service, and you can do large parties and have every steak be exactly perfect every time so it's it's um, uh, it's one of my favorite cooking techniques I try to utilize it a for for proteins for vegetables for fruits um, so uh, for me that stands that stands out to me I u- I use it a lot that's great yeah well
0: let's let's talk about the classic for just a minute um, James Beard once proclaimed ringside's world-famous onion rings yes. the best I've ever had <laughs> yes now, I don't know if you can share it but what makes them world famous
2: um, well, they're just great onion rings. I mean, I can't, um, I, I can't, uh, of course, this is probably one of the questions I get asked the most. And, um, uh, of course, a lot of it is proprietary, right? We don't want to, to give away the secret. Um, but we do, uh, it involves uh, milk with the onions uh, ahead of time. Of course, we slice the onions ourselves. We go through an incredible amount of onions in a year. Uh, but we slice those, punch them, uh, we soak them in milk, then we flour them. And we have this special machine that we call uh, the onion ring time machine. It's this big stainless steel drum that turns around and, and delicately flowers uh, lots of onion rings for you. So we have that. Um, and then, of course, we have it. Uh, I think the secret is in the batter. Um, it's, and, and, again, that's a real proprietary sort of thing. Sure. Um, but, yeah, that's. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, is that uh, I try not to eat too many of them because it could be an occupational hazard. Um, and so I'll go periods of time without, without eating one. And then, uh, every now and then I'll be like, I got to have one of those <laughs> and I'll eat it. And I'm like, oh yeah, now I get it <laughs> one more time. It's like, it's like, these things are fantastic. So, yeah.
0: And well, I see, I was expecting a short answer. My grandmother would have just said, I make them with love, but I appreciate the insight there. <laughs> yeah, <so>. Sure. <laughs> well, over your career, um, you've held numerous positions, executive mm-hmm. chef, you've mm-hmm. been an owner. Yep. I know you started in high school, uh, mm-hmm, yep. in, in, working in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So. What are some of the most maybe memorable moments for you uh, over the course of that career?
2: Oh boy, great question. Um, uh, I think I think certainly a turning point um, was my decision to go to culinary school. I had been in the business for about 10 years, had a, had gained a lot of experience um, just in the industry. Um, I was a sous chef at uh, Huber's in Portland right. uh, at the time. and. Um, and so, it, it, I guess that was a, a, a memorable decision, um, I guess in the sense that it, it, it was a springboard to so many other things and, and, and honestly, um, uh, I was procrastinating about the, dis- the decision and my girlfriend at the time literally picked up the telephone, dialed the number of Western Culinary Institute and handed me the phone. <laughs> because uh, I talked about it all the time, but I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't take that step. Uh, and it was it was the best decision I ever made. It was a great springboard for my career. Um, oh, so many so many uh, great moments. Um, certainly joining Ringside. Uh, I, I, to be honest, Ringside has defined my career as a chef. I mean, you can't be anywhere for twenty one years without it yeah. defining you to some degree. And I and I've been uh, uh, immensely proud of that. Um, ringside uh, I've always tried to maintain the the point of view that I'm I'm carrying the mantle I mean ringside was or, or the baton if you will um, I, I, ringside was around long before I was there um, I, I imagine it'll be around a long time after uh, I depart sure um, and so uh, having been but being there almost a quarter of a century I I hope that uh, I've left a really positive mark on it um, but I'm uh, I hope they talk about me a little bit after I'm gone, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, uh, I I it's been it's been an honor and a privilege to to carry that baton for such an iconic um, steakhouse. Okay. So yeah, I wow. I'm I, I proud of that.
0: I would say you've been an excellent steward for Ringside. Thank you very much. So that's yeah. that's been a pleasure to watch yeah. as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so I, I want to wrap up just uh, talking about. Uh, uh, advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my son, Mason, who's nine, is interested in cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what advice would you give young chefs who are maybe looking to enter the, the culinary profession?
2: I would say, um, honestly, uh, it is, it's a very demanding profession. Um, the recent, um, and when I say recent, probably in the last 10 or 15 years, the explosion of of channels like the Food Network and the Travel Channel and that kind of stuff, and the reality aspect that's been brought to the uh, restaurant industry—it's uh-huh. great entertainment, um, and it has elevated the profession. Um, so um, I think I think chefs um, owe that to that to that media. Um, at the same time, it is reality television, right? And um, sometimes one of the things that I've experienced along the way is. Um, uh, from young up-and-coming cooks, is I didn't think it was going to be like this. Or where's the glamour? Or so you have moments, yeah. Like maybe when I was just up on the stage or doing something like this. But it's a lot of hard work. Uh, the hours are long. Um, you're working when everybody else is playing, right? So um, if you if you have a passion for food and you're a little bit touched in the sense that you want the stress and that you excel under that stress yeah. and um, uh i don't know if that means i don't what is that type a personality or whatever um so if you have that going for you then it's probably the business for you um i've been doing it so long that um if i had a quote unquote normal job i probably wouldn't be able to stay awake to do it but (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um yeah i would just say uh just understand the realities of it yeah. before you before you get into it and it's yeah. it's hard to be the next top chef that's sure. for sure yeah yeah uh,
0: well i know most of the time uh, kids today want to be a youtube star because sure. you know yeah. it's easy and you make a lot of money and so yep. uh but nothing nothing comes easy yeah so. it can be
2: a long road sure it can be a long road so
0: my last question for you is uh, what's your favorite thing about being a chef in portland today in 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 the world we live in you talked a little bit about you know, Portland's become mm-hmm. kind of a foodie scene, and mm-hmm. some of the experiences that we've seen.
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's the influence of of the Portland food scene. It really is. It it, it pushes you um, to be relevant. You know, that was that was one of the things that um, became my vision for Ringside as I watched the evolution of of the Portland food scene. Is that is that to remain relevant in, in as a restaurant in a town like Portland. Um, you have to reflect that you have to that has to be part of what you're doing it doesn't have to be all of what you're doing um certainly um it would be fair to say that most of the folks that come to visit ringside kind of already know what they want to have right they're going to have the onion rings they're going to have a caesar salad they might have a prawn cocktail and then they're going to have a steak and a potato right and that's the classic stuff we do but if you if you want something more created if you if you want something more food forward with more technique different maybe advanced presentation that kind of thing it's there too and so i think that the um really just the overall influence of the food scene um uh is a is is, is a nudge it's always a nudge forward yeah that's
0: great well thank you chef Bocar, executive chef ringside steakhouse for being here with us today of course thank you uh, northwest food show you were up on the stage and now at the podcast and we look forward to talking with you again soon in the near thank, future thank
2: you very much glad to be here thanks <laughs>
3: Oregonians care about their food, from our well-regarded dining scene to an abundance of fresh locally sourced ingredients to the highest quality of culinary innovation. Oregon's food industry is second to none. But leading the way means we're responsible to stop wasting this precious resource. As food professionals, we have the power to eliminate food waste. Explore foodwastestopswithme.org to learn more about how to reduce food waste in your kitchen. You'll find important tools for starting a food waste reduction program, video testimonials, webinars, and case studies from businesses that have successfully integrated waste reduction strategies into their restaurants, lodging, and catering operations. You can also get connected to a waste reduction specialist who will help you evaluate your current practices. Visit foodwastestopswithme.org to learn more about how you can reduce food waste in your kitchen.
0: Welcome back to Boiled Down, the podcast for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. I'm Greg Astley, your host, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. And today, right now, we've got Nick Isbister with Food Waste Stops with me. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you being here today. Uh, This has been such a great program for so many people. Tell us a little bit about what you guys have been doing lately, what's new, and and how people can uh, find out more.
4: Well, we're about a year into the program now, so we, we launched this just around the time of the Northwest Food Show last year. And we're seeing expansion throughout the metro region and the state. So a lot, we're giving a lot more restaurants the opportunity to find one central location to get information. And then someone like myself, a sustainability advisor, wherever that lo- uh, restaurant is located, can work directly with them.
0: So tell me and our listeners about the program itself. I mean, mm-hmm. what are people signing up for and how are you helping them to, to stop food waste?
4: Right, so they're not really signing up for any kind of commitment. They're signing up for for learning more information and getting in touch with the regional partner. So someone like myself could go out and do site visits with this um, business that reach out, reaches out to us and really develop a, a personalized program for that business to, to show them videos on preventing food waste, teaching them how to engage their staff, um, everything from food waste prevention measurement techniques, composting, donating. We kind of have the full gambit of resources in our holster to, to help these businesses find a personalized food waste prevention, I guess, project or, or program that, that meets their, their needs.
0: I know one of your success stories has been Scott Youngblood and the staff over at Embassy Suites Washington Square.
4: Absolutely. He's done a, a video that
0: we've talked about. And, and Can you tell a little bit about his success story and, and what they've done?
4: Yeah, Scott really ran with it. Um, he's been kind of our, our uh, a leader in, in doing this and we, we now use that as a case study from their waste audit to how much food they're they're preventing from going in the landfill and even how much food they're preventing from composting they really followed the hierarchy of okay we can compost all this food waste and that's great but that's still us wasting it right and so scott's implemented so many techniques from even having uh, someone man the bacon station in the morning um and and they've found enough there's actually enough cost savings on that to be able to pay an employee to do that
0: that's a pretty coveted position from what i understand he, yeah the he, bacon monitor yeah yeah he's talked about that so that's great um so i know that uh, there's been a movement too among uh, bartenders to use uh, different parts of, of the fruit, or uh, even for uh, chefs to uh, maybe use some of the, the, the rinds, the skin, the, maybe the ugly part of the vegetables in a, in a soup or a stock or something like that. Are, are you seeing that trend here in Oregon as well? Are they starting to do more of that? Yes,
4: definitely. I, I think that falls under the foodie category. You know, I think uh, diners are looking for experiences and something new and fun like that. And I think chefs and bartenders are really taking on the challenge and they find that interesting to do and they and they think like, all right, this is something else that I'm going to be able to do now in my holster and I can make a, you know, a reuse or waste less cocktail or a waste less dish or order. So we're seeing a lot more of that.
0: And we talked a little bit before we started recording the podcast, but some companies like Scamania Lodge have actually taken this bull by the horns, if you
4: will, and, and just run with it. Exactly. I, I think even before they were introduced to the, to the program, I think they, they had a green team in place, and I think once they started to realize that there was more tips and tricks out there, they took some Food Waste Stops With Me ideas and ran with it. And they even have a, an open source ebook of all the waste prevention practices they have at community Lodge. And, and you can go in there and it's open source and look, you can probably just Google it. Um, But we we actually use that as a reference now, too, and and say, hey, look what Skamania Lodge did. I think you guys can implement some of this at your hotel or your kitchen. Wow, that's great. Now,
0: you guys also, in addition to providing information on the website, and and we'll have you talk about that in just a second, but you've got workshops that you've conducted earlier this year, and you've got one coming up on, I think it's May 8th, is that right? May 8th,
4: correct, and this one's gonna be in Bend. So this this shows that we're we're not just in the metro area. Um, We've got connections and resources throughout the uh, state. We've done one in Medford, we've done one in Tualatin. Um, Scott at uh, Embassy Suites actually hosted our last one in the area, so they're all over.
0: That's great. So what is that website for people who wanna go there and get some more information, find some tips and tricks?
4: Yeah, it's foodwaystopswithme.org. Great. Yeah, and again, that's the, the in order to find your regional contact, you just go to this one central location, and then you start plugging in your information, and you can find your regional contact to come out and do some one-on-one with you.
0: So you're here at the Northwest Food Show, and we appreciate that. It's always great to see you guys here. What are you doing here at the Food Show to help educate folks and, and get them involved in Food Waste
4: Stops with me? So we've expanded it over the year from last year. So not only do we have a booth where, where attendees can come up and, and check out what we have going and watch some videos, get some more information from us in and, the and, and, sign up for some some one-on-one contacts at their location, but we're actually here, so I'm, I'm here all day with one-on-one consultations. So I'm giving um, businesses 30 minutes to talk one-on-one with me about best practices that I think I can implement in, in their restaurant. And again, if they're if they want more follow-up and they're not located at the city of Gresham where I work, I can connect them with the person like me in their di- um, region or district to do the same thing.
0: That's great. All right. Well, is there anything else that people should know about food waste stops with me that we haven't talked about yet?
4: Yeah, I want I think that folks should be realizing that. Uh, as composting has been a thing in Oregon now for a long time, and that's great. Donation as well, but on the environmental lens of things, if we prevent the food waste in the first place, so you don't even have to think about, oh man, how am I gonna donate this? How am I gonna compost this? Or oops, we threw that in the landfill. If we can prevent it in the first place, not only is that a huge environmental win, but that's a huge cost-saving win for the restaurant itself.
0: Fantastic. Well, Nick Isbister, Waste stops with me. Thanks for stopping by here at the Orla podcast, Boiled Down, and at the Northwest Food Show. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much for letting me be here. You bet. Welcome back to Boiled Down, the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association's podcast. We are here at the Northwest Food Show, and right now I'm being joined by Jason Brandt, President and CEO of Orla. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, you know, we don't spend enough time together these days uh, on the road. You're traveling a lot, but here we are together at the Northwest Food Show.
5: We are here and in the present. Tell me a
0: little bit about what's happening at the food show this year.
5: We actually have some new innovations we're pretty excited about. Marcus Samuelson was here from New York City, uh, famous Harlem cook, chef, author, just a good guy. Uh, did a lot. He was actually here on the podcast with you earlier, which is great to see. Um, we have an Ask the Experts section, which is kind of a new deal, and seems like people are liking that. Have someone on one time with uh, people on different types of consultancy services that can help you with a specific issue you may be having in your operation. Still have our educational seminars, of course, uh, have some cocktail competitions, and some ce- celebrities from Bar Rescue actually next uh, next day, so coming up coming up here on Monday. Tell me a little bit more about the Ask the Experts. I know that was a new one this
0: year and it seems to be really well received. Folks are getting kind of expert advice on how to run their business, how to more successfully run their business.
5: Yeah, there's actually different you know choices you have in terms of the type of expert you meet with. It could be a financial challenge you're having. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with something specific relating to food cost or food waste. There's a consultant for that. So yeah, it's kind of a menu of options and the idea would be to customize your approach to make sure you're getting the full value out of your experience here and and making sure that that value pays off for you after you leave. So that's not the only place people are learning. You mentioned the educational seminars. We had one on uh,
0: legislative and regulatory environments in both Washington and Oregon. Um, what are some of the other things that you know that we're talking about in these educational seminars?
5: Well, as you know, the fun never stops on the West Coast, right? So we actually have Fisher Phillips showing up tomorrow to talk more about of the regulatory issues we're facing. Uh, some other consultants as well that are um, also participating in the Ask the Experts section. Uh, but I think the, the main thing we really need to make sure our members are aware of and the industry is aware of is the way in which we're experimenting with new approaches to regulation and how those impact the hospitality industry. Not a fun place to be, frankly, if you're on the West Coast and we're just going to see how things work when it comes to you know, new issues like scheduling, sick leave, paid family leave, yeah. retirement savings. I mean, you name it, it seems like there's always a new idea that's brewing on the West Coast that we then have to react to. And uh, I think, frankly, our industry is getting a bit tired of that. Uh, they, they're doing the best they can uh, in a very tight margin business, 3 to 5% on average. And we got to make sure that the elected leaders understand how our restaurant operators are creating that first rung of opportunity on a path hopefully for professionals of excellence in their lives. But without that first opportunity, where are they going to be? Where are they going to be if they can't develop those interpersonal skills? Where are they going to be if they don't learn how to work as a teammate with other people Sure. or show up on time or multitask with so many things going on, Like uh, just like the food show today with so many things happening here all at once? These are skills we have to teach our youth. These are skills we have to provide for people that are coming out of prison Uh, It's a way to reduce our recidivism rate uh, throughout the state. Uh, We're a land of second chances, a a land of of first opportunities, and also a, a place where you can get a freaking awesome career, both on the restaurant and the lodging side. There are amazing stories out there of people that have risen up through the ranks, if you will, and created amazing careers for themselves and also those they support.
0: Yeah, we've talked a lot about uh, restaurants being the cornerstones of your community and, and really how they give back uh, on the philanthropic side, You know whether it's the sponsorships of little leagues or you know, uh, feeding the homeless, those kinds of things. And uh, we've talked about how uh, restaurants are places where you go to celebrate the big moments, uh, whether it's birthdays or anniversaries or pop in the question. Uh, and I know our members uh, just want to serve folks. It's the, it is the hospitality industry and, and people care, but it is getting uh, more difficult uh, to do that. What are some of the things that you're seeing uh, and hearing from the folks that are coming up to our booth and talking to you about what's happening in the industry?
5: I would say most are concerned about their path to running a sustainable operation. We have people that are thinking about changing from full service models to counter service models. We have people that are asking specific questions about lottery. Uh, maybe they're a lottery retailer, or uh, maybe they have questions about OLCC regulations relating to alcohol. Some are asking about marijuana and cannabis, uh, and how all those things work together to create, you know, a safe experience as free from liability as possible. Uh, and there are a lot of considerations out there. We have a lot of, uh, you know, third-party intermediary questions about. Drivers and sure. who can you know? What kind of what companies can say? Yeah, I'm going to put items on your menu on on my website and and uh, yeah, pick up pick up your food and There's not a good check and balance system there for the food quality once it's actually delivered to the end user. There's questions about who owns that data. So there's kind of a, a battle going on between third parties and the restaurants themselves about, well, wait, I I want to know who I'm actually giving this food to that's going to be consuming it and some third parties are saying no uh, that's our data they're going to our app they're purchasing the food through us we don't have to share the data with you yeah give us the food and we'll go deliver it to who we know asked for it but it's not your data that's a battle that's coming in the future so yeah I mean there's I mean it never stops the fun never stops right Greg there's so many things going on when you're the second largest private sector industry in in the state of Oregon Uh, employing 180,000 Oregonians or more Uh, so many issues to consider yeah
0: well we do have fun I know we've been talking a little bit about uh, the fun never stops in in a satirical way but we've got a we've got a tasting area here uh, for some folks to sample some of the uh, libations and alcoholic beverages
5: yeah they're so excited about all of the regulations and on the west coast that they head directly for the tasting pavilion
1: (laughs)
0: there is a great selection though i I myself uh was over there earlier looking at the different varieties that we have we've got beer we've got cider we've got wine we've got you were just
5: uh, over there looking though right Uh, you weren't actually it was
0: purely research for the podcast oh okay research gotcha yes absolutely so um you know this podcast will be out there after the food show's over but for anybody who's listening to it who's thinking about you know, maybe next year they want to stop by. Uh, What do you want to tell the folks that that should be here talking to these vendors that we've got in the aisles, uh, offering them their their wares, their samples, uh, you know, offering them ways to improve their bottom line?
5: I'd just say that I think now more than ever, having a place where we can all gather in person and physically see each other, look each other in the eye, have conversations about our industry, about our world. I mean, who could argue that it's there's any other more important time than right now to still keep intact and provide opportunities for people to engage face to face. Yeah, You know, with generations that are coming up that are kind of have their head down, uh, constantly looking at their phones, uh, the, the dual screen mentality where you got your TV on, you might have your iPad open, and maybe even your phone too, call it maybe it's triple screen now. Right. There's just so many distractions, so many technological innovations, and those are here at the show, But in addition to that, you get to see people in person and and network and build relationships and identify people that can help you grow your business. It's very, very difficult to do that if your whole strategy for being successful as a restaurant operator is to simply find all of your solutions online. You're missing out by not meeting people in person. So that's what we're here for. Well,
0: I know we couldn't put this show together without the generous support of the sponsors that we have. And maybe you can tell us about a few of them.
5: Yeah, a few that are uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, Food Services of America, McDonald Wholesale, and then, of course, our presenting sponsor, Dell. We have a number of uh, sponsors, though, that are a part of this as major sponsors. Dell is our presenting sponsor. And uh, our industry gets some pretty sweet discounts online by investing in Dell uh, products and services. So take a look at that on the oral website if you get a chance. But really great to have Dell as a, a new presenting sponsor with the show this year.
0: Great. Anything else, Jason, you want to share with the folks that are going to be listening to this?
5: Just that we're here for you. You know, we're trying uh, to find every way possible to reach you where you live, whether you like to listen to podcasts or watch videos or get email updates or visit websites. Let us know how we can connect with you so that we can be of service. That's that's really uh, the the leadership strategy I want to make sure everyone knows, I, I believe wholeheartedly in as the president and CEO for Orla. It's, this team is here for them. It's it's meant to assist them uh, in being more and more successful. And however we can accomplish that, we're going to meet that challenge. And uh, so we just hope that continues for the foreseeable future. Use sure. us as a resource. That's what, that's what we exist for. All
0: right, well, thanks for joining us, Jason. Yeah, thank we'll you. talk to you later. All right, welcome back to Boiled Down, the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association's podcast. And joining me right now is Seth Grushow. right? You got it perfect. All right. I always have trouble with my last name telling people. So I grew up going to the show. Yeah? Grueshow. Right show. Yeah. All right. Seth Show with To Gather Consulting. Uh, what is your area of consulting, though? What is it exactly that you do? So
6: we're operational consultants. So anything that has to do with your day-to-day operations, right? Um, basically, in a nutshell, we want to make sure that you're getting the proper percentage of profit out of your restaurant, out of your investment. Um, we help protect that and make sure that you're getting that
0: Okay. So is that uh, efficiencies? Is it training? I mean, give, give me one kind of example of what you've done. For Very somebody. loaded question. I guess, <laughs> I, as you know, in this business, everything goes hand in
6: hand. But uh-huh. basically, in a nutshell, we concentrate a lot on what we call prime cost, okay. which is your cost of goods and your total labor into one number. Uh, The reason we put that into one number is because every restaurant's different. Sure. You may be a fine dining restaurant and you run a higher labor than most restaurants with a lower food cost. You may be a family diner that runs a higher food cost with a lower labor, right? So we want to look at your restaurant, figure out who you are, and we want to look at that prime cost number, which should sit around 60 to 65% of your total revenue, and figure out what makes the most sense for your place.
0: So with... Things like our annual minimum wage increases here in Oregon and the cost labor, of labor, labor, labor. Yeah, food going up as well because of the cost of labor going up. How are you? I mean, how are you dealing with that with your clients? And and do you see a, a point in the future where you know that number is going to have to go up? You said sixty, sixty-five, but is it is it going up?
6: It's it's hard for it to go up, and it is. A lot of people are running higher than that, and hence why we're busy and keep busy doing what right. we do, right? Um, <clears throat> but. We're in a razor thin margin, so it, it really can't go up much more than that, to be honest with you. Is it? Yes. Um, but you need to make adjustments to figure out how. We use technology a lot when it comes to labor, right? That is absolutely a big trend in our industry and something that you should be paying attention to as an operator. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to cost of goods, food manufacturers are catching on and they're figuring it out, right? So, you know, there used to be this cardinal sin of pre-packaged product or pre-prep product, right? <clears throat> And that's changing. Technology in that area is changing as well, right? So how they freeze things quicker, how they do things and per- prepare the product is making a big difference. So sure. we are seeing the manufacturers catch on to this and we are making adjustments. And that may be that you have to spice up a pre-packaged product or a sauce or something like that and make it your own, right? There's got to be adjustments that you need to, be- to make in order to hit those numbers. But you gotta hit those numbers.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that can be tough. So you were part of our Ask the Experts. Uh, I was uh, the situation we have here this this time. The 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 piece that we were offering there. What were some of the questions that you were getting from folks? And obviously, you don't have to give us any names or restaurants or anything. But uh, just curious. I mean, what were, what were people asking you? So labor and cost of goods? Yeah,
6: of course. <laughs> I see a theme developing here in this podcast, and it has yeah. to do with labor and cost of goods. Uh, people are struggling with that the most. So, yeah. again, we do everything, as, as we mentioned, as far as operations go, but that is a big concentration of what we do. So a big part of that is budget uh, and making sure that you're budgeting properly every single month, right? So really laying out your, your period budget or monthly, however you do it at your establishment, establishing what your budget's going to be, and then pay attention to that number every single day. There's money to be made in this business, and a good amount of money to be made in this business if you do those things. Sure. If you if you stay uncomfortable, which is what I tell people all the time, don't ever get comfortable. Yeah. Um, and you're paying attention to your numbers on a regular basis, and appreciating that that no, every dollar that walks into your into your restaurant, 65 cents of that is going towards those two things. So you better be paying attention to those two things. Right. Um, so we talk about that a lot, and how to do that, and how. Maybe a once-a-month inventory isn't a good idea. Maybe we need to switch it over to once a week and, and really nail down our food costs and pay attention to those things. But <clears throat> there's definitely tricks um, and there's ways to do it,
0: um, but it takes work and yeah.
6: it t- it stays it takes being uncomfortable as I mentioned before. Sure.
0: Do you, Do you see that as kind of the number one problem for people that you sit down with for the first time? Is mm-hmm. that the budget isn't really
6: 100 percent. Yeah.
0: You know, everything has to have a
6: number associated. We're a game, We're this is a game of pennies. It really is in this business. So if you're not budgeting everything out to, what am I paying for garbage every single month? And mm-hmm. What percentage is that coming out, right? You want to get to that end of the month, you want to see what your profit percentage is going to be, and you want to make sure all the things that you budgeted for fell in line with those. If they're not, what adjustments can I make to get them to that number? Yeah. So that's crucial is your budget and paying attention to that big prime cost is really going to help you get off on a good foot.
0: Well, speaking of saving those pennies, uh, you're a part of the hospitality hub. That's right. So tell me why and tell me what you're offering the, the folks that want to take advantage of that. So
6: we offer Orla members 20% off our hourly rate. Um, the reason we do that is we have found a really good partnership in Orla. Uh, part of the reason here with the show, um, it makes sense for our company to be involved with Orla, obviously, right? We have a very small <laughs> um, target market, if you will, right? Mm. Well, We offer operators and owners, you know? so. Us associating with you guys and working with you guys makes total sense from our business plan and from our business perspective, right? Uh, Plus you guys are a great organization that we really enjoy working with and you're really good for the industry as well.
0: I'll send you a check later for those comments. I appreciate it. Well, I don't get one before I leave. (laughs) We'll have to work on (laughs) that. Well, what else would you like to tell anybody that's going to listen to this podcast about either the show or your company or why you're involved (laughs) in what's going on here? Well, I think it's really important
6: that we as an industry look at who we are as an industry, right? And these type of events and these type of things is a great time to reflect and do that this is a hard business to be in, as we all know. Um, Most people listening out there, are owners and operators or you know, doing that. So they get the challenges, right? And we need to come together as an industry and work with each other and help each other, right? A better industry is better for all of us. So these events are great for that. That's why we come to them. It's not only to try to uh, get new business, which is a great opportunity for us to do that, but to network. What are you doing? What are you not doing? What's working? What's not working, right? You can't, you can't Put a number on that that's so valuable so uh, on top of us coming here to kind of promote who we are as together restaurant consulting uh, we want to meet other vendors other like-minded people and kind of figure out what's working and what's not working so
0: great well let's help you out with that Seth. if folks want to get in touch with you to either uh, you know employ you or have a conversation what's the best way for them to do that so you can uh, email us
6: uh seth at togetherconsulting.com um you can also reach us at 541-513-1883. It's together, not together. I've missed a lot of emails because of that. But to, you know.
0: to gather with an A. Well, you got it. All right. Perfect. Seth Grucho, To Gather Consulting. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, sir.
3: Oregon is known for its vibrant and innovative food scene. As food professionals, we celebrate the richness of our natural resources, but truly cherishing our food means not wasting it. We have the power to eliminate food waste. From ordering just enough to using tip-to-tail and root-to-leaf, we show our colleagues and customers what's really possible and delicious. The good news is there's free support available to help your business get started. Visit foodwastestopswithme.org today. To schedule an appointment with a waste reduction specialist, they'll help you evaluate your current practices, identify areas where you can reduce waste in your kitchen, and provide you with on site staff training and educational resources. Go to foodwaste org to schedule your appointment and start reducing food waste in your kitchen today.
0: Welcome back to Boiled Down, the podcast for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. I'm Greg Astley, your host. Director of Government Affairs for Orla. And with me today now is Ryan McPhail, COO for Curtis Restaurant Equipment Incorporated. Welcome, Ryan.
7: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: So you've been to a few food shows, it sounds like. Can you tell me how many of these you've
7: done? Um, like the Northwest Food Show? Yeah. This is actually my second Northwest Food Show. Okay. Uh, we haven't really been participating in the last couple of years, so about four years ago was the last one that we actually did a booth here. Okay. Um, but then I've been to a lot of other... Industry shows throughout the U.S. Regarding this,
0: so you had a little gap there. What brought you back to the Northwest Food Show?
7: Um, well, Orla, um, kind of controlling it now and, and changing things up. We're very interested in, in seeing what's changed last year. Was invited to come up and end up getting sick, so I wasn't able to make it. Um, we've been working with Marla with with Orla for some time now, and uh, we really wanted to see what changes have been done. Um, and so, participating in the Ask the Experts section of this. Um, allowed us to be a part of it come up see what changes are there and so far it's looking pretty good
0: well I was gonna say so one of those changes is one that you're involved in which is the ask the expert uh, part that we have here and so I wanted to ask you about that because um, you know we've heard a lot of great feedback from people who have had a chance to sit down uh, ask the experts those questions that they have what are some of the burning questions that you're getting from folks
7: How can I save on labor? How can I become more (laughs) efficient? Uh, Those are definitely the questions. With the cost of labor going up here the last couple of years and continuing to do so, um, it's a a concern for a lot of business owners. So it's um, that and just overall design of restaurants, anything from a food cart to a full full grown restaurant.
0: Sure, so let's talk about that for a second. Obviously you guys are in the equipment business, which is great. Um, What are some of the trends you're seeing in food service equipment? What's new? We hear a lot on the advocacy side about automation, uh, Mm -hmm. technology that's going to be coming, but I've got to imagine there are some other things that are happening on the equipment side to make your uh, operation more efficient and streamlined.
7: Yeah, so definitely technology is starting to become a big part of the back of the house, which usually that's a front of the house with POS systems and everything. Um, So over the last couple of years, a lot of bigger pieces of equipment are adding that technology, adding that user interface, the iPod screens or the uh, iPad screens, and uh, use uh, ease of user, you know, use, I guess. Sure. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Taking that that smaller footprint, things are going to smaller footprints in the the kitchens and in the front of the house. And so being able to have the same type of production or same quantity of production out of a smaller footprint. Equipment is now becoming multi-use with the growth of combi ovens and multi-layer ovens where you can do multiple items even batch or individual at the same time at different temperatures in the same cavity uh, allows to you to do a lot more off of a smaller footprint so that that is the biggest growth that we see over the last couple years
0: we had chef Car on here from ringside steakhouse mm-hmm. a little earlier and uh, one of the things he was talking about was uh, sous vide and the technique that you use there with uh uh, being able to cook larger batches of food for people and have it all kind of come out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Are, are there other pieces of equipment like that, or you know, is the sous vide kind of the, the thing for this year that you're seeing? In?
7: Well, combi ovens as well. Sous vide, sous vide is great for for those large um, large meal preparation. You can you can batch cook large portions, um, and then you can do a much quicker kind of final prep final prep to uh, get it out on the plate at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not, it's shortening that final prep time. The overall cooking process is still similar, but you're just doing it um, prior to that final service. The combi ovens and the technology with the vector multi-layer ovens and high-speed cooking ovens is is taking those more singular preparations, a single pan or so, and doing it in a much quicker time. Mm. Those combi ovens, you can take something that would normally take four hours to cook and cook it in an hour and it's coming out moist, it's coming out, it's that perfect temperature. Wow. The technology is great. I'm getting hungry now, so we're going to
0: have to move on to something else, I think. (laughs) It's going to be trouble. Hey, so uh, when you're talking to operators, you said they were asking about things like remodeling, right? So what do you suggest to any operators that are looking to remodel, maybe update a little bit? You know, what are some of the first steps that they should take to be successful?
7: Um, definitely you have to prepare to be able to make the changes with the takeout with the delivery. Um, in the past years, that wasn't a big concern when we came to design. Now you have to have a section in in that, in your, in your front area, in your, in your counter service that Grubhub or, you know, Uber Eats or whoever it is that's going to come in and pick up those orders has access to get it and to get it quickly without waiting in line. Um, that is probably one of the bigger actual full restaurant designs that all of our design staff are talking to the owners going into it and making sure that they can adjust and adapt to that trend.
0: So that leads me to a question. Uh, It's a concept that we talked about a little bit yesterday in one of the educational seminars, the one that I was in on legislative and regulatory, and that is uh, this concept of cloud kitchens. Uh, I know Uber Eats is investing a lot of money in this concept where you really don't have a seating area. There's no service staff. Uh, It's simply a kitchen. And a delivery window and the whole concept is based around the fact that you're gonna order food on an app uh, you're gonna have somebody pick it up and deliver it to you and the kitchen itself or the restaurant is just simply there to exist as a kitchen to get the food out the door uh, have you at Curtis restaurant equipment heard of, of this trend or is this something that you guys are starting to see in in Oregon or the Northwest
7: so we definitely heard of, heard about it and have discussed it with some customers we personally haven't done um, a, a system like that there are a couple uh, larger chain accounts throughout the US that have actually adapted this concept and added in new franchises that are strictly for that takeout and that delivery kind of in some test markets seeing how it's going um, when you look at a lot of these chain, ac- chain accounts across the US they're, they're pushing 50 to 70% of their sales is off of takeout off of delivery and so being able to adapt and add just that remote that cloud based restaurant is, is something that, that is coming up you know, We here in the Pacific Northwest, we deal a lot with the larger um, business-to-business businesses, uh, sorry, the universities, hospitals, mm-hmm. um, assisted living centers, um, and then we do a lot of local restaurants. So although we've talked a few about that, we haven't designed one completely that's for that service yet.
0: Yeah. I just, uh, I was listening to the radio the other day. I heard an interesting report from Georgetown University. They were saying that something like 80% of their freshmen were not eating breakfast. You know, it's hard to get up and out of bed in the morning, especially when you're first going to college. Uh, but as soon as they had this kind of proliferation of third-party delivery systems, now most of the freshmen are ordering breakfast, having it delivered to their dorm room, and then eating before they head out to class. So I, I don't know. Do you see any, any future in that for the universities? Are we going to be looking at room service at the University of Oregon or Oregon State at some point? We
7: possibly can. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> definitely a trend. I know for me, I, I don't leave the office very much. So come lunchtime, I'm, I'm going online and ordering something from one of our customers and having it delivered to me so that I can stay productive. Um, I picture myself back when I was in college, I would have definitely utilized that service <laughs> so that I didn't have. If we could pre-order the day before right. so that it just shows up 10 minutes after my alarm went off, I'd be, I would have been set.
0: <laughs> well, Ryan McPhail, COO of Curtis Restaurant Equipment. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much
7: for being at the Northwest Food Show. Thank you very much.
0: Welcome back to Boiled Down, the podcast from the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. And joining me right now is Megan Wright from Dell, our presenting sponsor for the Northwest Food Show. Welcome, Megan.
8: Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. We are so excited to be uh, the presenting sponsor. This show's been fantastic.
0: Well, that's great. Um, Thank you for stepping up. We really appreciate your, your support and, uh, and your sponsorship. Um, you did a great job last night uh, at the industry night out that we had, Thank uh, you. talking in front of that group.
8: Thank you so much. And
0: uh, you've done a great job as the sponsor here, uh, just having your presence known. I mean, you you mentioned it last night and you can definitely tell where, where the Dell booth.
8: <laughs> yeah, you can't miss us. It's a like I said, it's a sea of blue. <laughs> we make it very known when Dell's around. <laughs>
0: well, that's great. We certainly appreciate that. Um, and you guys have been an endorsed service provider with Orla and you've got a couple of special deals. Do you want to talk about those a yeah, little bit?
8: Yeah, that would be great. So we partnered with Orla. So what that means is on all of our different business grade products you can get between two and five percent additionally on top of that in uh, discounts so special pricing is fantastic but I think one of our you know biggest resources is um, getting them in touch with a dedicated small business advisor so if you're a small business you're just starting out and you may not have IT on staff or you're outsourcing your IT we actually can get you in touch with a direct point of contact, so we're bridging that gap. We want to, you know, help out where we can, um, give all of our, you know, expertise, advice, understand the environment of your business, and fit a solution to those needs. Um, that way, you know, customers aren't putting their capital out there testing these different types of systems, and then they don't work, and then they're stuck. You know, it's, we want to make it right the first time. Sure. Yeah, and so that's one of, you know, I think of the fan favorite and the best resources that we have available for the members. But we're also launching this new program, which we're really excited about. Um, this is open to Orla members and it's called our Dell Partner Advisor Program. Okay. Um, so brand new in our space, we will come out on site to your business nationwide. Um, this is a f- you know fully complimentary service and we'll come on site, do a full consultation of your business, understand the environment. Uh, make sure that whatever you have tech wise in your environments working as efficient as possible. And if it's not, we're fitting you with a new proper solution. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah, we're really excited about it. (laughs) That's great.
0: Yeah. You know, IT is one of those things I think, especially for uh, restaurant operators who usually the passion is in service. You know, they, they want to feed people and and into the cooking. And uh, sometimes the, some of the, those back of the house, back of the house things like accounting and all the IT stuff that you just mentioned. um, You know, if you're not somebody who's an expert, in those things it can it can get out of control pretty quickly yeah so the services that you're offering it sounds like uh, it's right where you need to be for our restaurant operators to take advantage of it
8: exactly and you know not only are we providing a service on the front end to make sure that you're purchasing the correct equipment for your needs. We're also we have top of the line support. So again, if you still don't have the IT on staff, if that's not your focus right now because your focus is to make sure that your your customers are taken care of, the food is at the top notch level of what you're you know wanting to put out there. If you're a restaurant owner, um, we have you know 24-7 support next business day on-site repair. So it's kind of that question of what happens if our point of sale system goes down? Mm-hmm. How much is at risk You know, for our restaurant, for our business? Um, so we put that at the forefront. Um, so that's also something that we can provide to these members as well. That's so great. yeah.
0: What are some of the, the trends that you're seeing as far as some of that technology and what people are looking to do to either help make their lives easier or make the business more efficient, more profitable?
8: Yeah. Um, I would say there's, you know, quite a, quite a few different trends, but one of the biggest that it's, it's a trend, but it's just, it's been integrated in our lives for quite some time now, but it, that it's that touchscreen aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of, you know, what we're seeing in, in most of the restaurant industry is point of sale systems that are touchscreen, usually driven just by the, um, you know, the, the customer themselves. Um, so we have, you know, quite a few options for point of sale that are touchscreen interactive, um, look really sleek and nice, very customer facing. So that's, you know, a big shift for us. Um, But then it's also, you know, cloud access is huge right now. Um, And so when we acquired um, EMC and different businesses that Dell now has uh, within our portfolio, uh, cloud has become, you know, extremely accessible for what we can offer um, our customers Uh, and so that's just you know security that your information and what's you know your business's livelihood based on uh, is safe secure um, and you can access it anywhere which I think is huge.
0: Yeah as we talk about on the advocacy and regulatory side um, you know food and labor costs continue to kind of go up and really you know, you have to either find a way to save money there or you have to take advantage of things like technology to uh, make your life easier and, and to make your restaurant profitable. Right. So, uh, it's great that you guys are able to offer that. So yeah. Um, what's been your favorite part of being here at the 2019 Northwest Food Show?
8: You know, I think it's just the wide range of people that we get to talk to and interact with that's my favorite part about you know any kind of events that we're getting uh, the opportunity to be at but this one's special you know this one's different there's so many types of vendors and customers and getting to know you know what brought you to the Northwest Food Show are you a restaurant owner are you you know a, a type of business that creates the plates that are eco-friendly it's just there's so many different cool innovations that are here and it's really exciting and i'm not going to lie to taste all the delicious food. That's a, that's <laughs> an added bonus for sure.
0: <laughs> well, the other thing I have to ask you is, did you have a good time at the industry night out last night at Produce Row Cafe?
8: I had a blast. And I will say, um, was it Dave...
2: Finley. Mm -hmm. He was
8: fantastic. Yeah. He totally set the vibes and the mood for the entire event. And you know, the, the beer pong's fun. The (laughs) event space was so great. So I think it was just a blast and it looked like everyone had a great time. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah.
0: Well, Megan Wright, Dell Computers, thank you so much for being the presenting sponsor for the 2019 Northwest Food Show and for being on the podcast.
8: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Mm
0: Welcome to Boil Down, the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association's podcast. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs. And right now I am very excited to have our panel uh, that was up on the main stage recently uh, judging the bar competition, the bartender competition. And uh, they were doing a panel on kind of an Ask the Experts thing. And so we have Art Sutley from Bar Business Magazine, uh, Phil Wills, Mia Mastriani, and Lisa Marie Joyce. Did I get everybody's name right? Perfect. Excellent. All right. And uh, we were just talking a little bit beforehand. Uh, These folks have a chance to travel around sometimes together. Uh, More often than not, though, they're not all together. So we're really excited to have you here at the 2019 Northwest Food Show. So thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Um, Thank you for having us.
0: And how was your experience up on stage? Did you guys have a good time?
9: That was amazing. Honestly, any time that we get to be together and speak on a panel, which we've done a few times now, um, it, it's always electric and I think it's palpable that how passionate about the industry we all are. And it's, it's more than just people recognizing us from TV because 90% of the time, we're actually living and working in this industry. Um, and I think it really translated with the audience today where they asked really great questions. They were very engaged and I think I think we touched on a lot of different topics, so thank you, Portland. <laughs>
10: well, I think one thing that's really interesting is that a lot of people were not asking about the TV show. They were generally asking about what we're talking about to better their business, and I think that that's so important that that happened. It showed that what we did was a truly amazing seminar.
11: I agree.
0: Yeah, well, so I want to ask you about that because you're all consultants kind of in one form or another, and so I know... On the show, and I'm sorry to reference that, but you talk a lot about things like cost control and making sure that servers are trained, that your staff get the training that they need. Uh, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see people making? We'll start with Phil, um, that you kind of are, are consulting them on, that you, you're helping them with.
12: Yeah, I know we we did talk about we did talk about this um, during our panel today, but training is is so important. You know, wh- where there's there's knowledge, there's power. And I feel like not a lot of bar owners and people that operate restaurants really give enough knowledge to their staff or their employees. Um, when they do that, then it's going to empower them. And that's not often the case. Uh, a, a big piece of, of it, with, alongside of the training part of it, is that Lisa Marie Joyce talked about this, but people come on and um, come into a restaurant and they have experience bartending. It doesn't mean that they have experience bartending at that location. Mm -hmm. So you need to have a training program. You need to have something that's developed within your own location and make sure that everybody comes in, they're on the same page. Some people come in with bad habits. Some people come in with, BS experience where they really don't have a lot of experience, so they're going to make you look bad. So training, 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 and knowledge, 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 that's so important. Not only training your staff, but you as an owner or operator, you need to train yourself and you need to learn a lot more within the industry.
0: Sure. Lisa Marie looks like she wants to jump in. Yeah.
11: The, the owner as well, mm-hmm. like having knowledge. I mean, just. So many times I, I see owners that can't jump back behind the bar and help out. And not that you need to be a superstar bartender, that's my job, but you should at least know what's going on behind sure. your bar and how to make your cocktails and, and have some knowledge. Otherwise, you can't expect your bartenders to want to have knowledge either. Yeah. Passion is contagious.
12: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, we seem to be an industry where um, if somebody has their grandmother's lasagna recipe or if they spend time in a bar on Sundays watching football and drinking, they feel like they can open a bar or a (laughs) restaurant. I mean, do you, Mia's looking at me like, yes, absolutely. Do you you see that a lot? Eye roll. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
9: audible eye roll. Anyone who thinks that they can, you know, do it at home thinks that they can translate it into a viable business. And that's, 100% not the case. And we've seen it time and time again, um, where someone says, oh, like, I'm pretty good at this, I'm gonna open my own bar. And without any background in hospitality, of recipes, of uh, consistency, return on investment, business experience, Um, so many things factor into a viable business and so many places that we go into unfortunately uh, the business becomes the party and uh, people are absorbing their own beverage costs by turning it into their own party Um, (laughs) so again that all goes back to discipline and training and having a staff that is invested in hospitality and understanding that it is 100% about the guest experience And your job is to be there. Your number one concern is guest safety. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Right now, food allergies, very big in the industry. And uh, being educated on on the products that you're serving, not only just the food, but being educated on what's on your back bar. And there's so many great brands and spirits right now that are coming out and emerging because there's this big boom in the beverage industry. And there's a lot of smaller craft distilleries that once you learn the backstory or have a little bit of history and you're using it in a cocktail on your menu, being able to tell that story is just another way to translate and uh, engage your guests.
10: And I think you touched on something. Um, The new owner-operator is elevating people in the industry. If you look back 15 years ago, there were a lot of people because bartending hadn't elevated to the point it is now. They're making enough money where they're saving and opening their own places. There's a lot less, it still happens, where it's four guys who are buddies, never worked in the industry, and they open a bar. Now you're meeting owners who are telling you where they worked before, from the lowest level and worked all the way up to like a food and beverage director, manager, and then they take the next step and they're an owner. So it is nice to see that because the success rate is now statistically higher because these are not four guys who don't know anything about the industry. These are maybe two guys who've worked in it for 15 years. And And they've been there and they've made, they've seen the mistakes happen with somebody else or made them at some point in time in their career under somebody else's umbrella
0: okay well i swear i didn't plan this but my next question was going to be what advice do you have for new owners or operators who want to start what are some of the pitfalls they can avoid or what are the first steps they should take before they even think about opening the doors and signing that loan from the bank and phil let's start with you
12: let's go back to knowledge 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 you know it's bars and restaurants it's the number one of the number one failing um, businesses in the U.S. I think uh, there's a crazy statistic that 80% of the bars that open fail within the first two years um, for all the reasons that we've talked about of you know people just going into it and not really having that knowledge so if you're thinking about opening a bar or restaurant it's an amazing fun great time it's amazing I love it Um, but at the same time it's still a business. So understand what your ROI is, understand what your p is, understand sure. what your investments are. And if, if you're listening to this and you don't understand those abbreviations, you should, probably shouldn't be in the bar <laughs> business. So learn a little bit more about right. that. Don't be afraid to bring in a consultant, somebody that has been in the business for a long time, um, because all they're going to do is help you to create a better business. Yeah. Lisa Marie's
0: pointing right now at Phil very it energetically.
11: Because they're like you can't be an expert in everything there's no one person on the earth that is like i'm an expert in all things like that doesn't happen so for me it's hire the people who are experts in that industry and then listen to them it's good advice like, so when you hire somebody as a consultant don't fight the process if somebody knows what they're doing let it happen there's a lot of times in my own consulting. That I go into places and they hire me because they think they want my knowledge. And then they're like, oh, but would that really work? I don't know. I don't know. And they go back to that scared pattern of what's the cheapest way I can get by. It's
9: spend the money, invest, train, then you will be successful.
0: Yeah. Mia, did you want to add anything there? I mean, the
9: only thing that I would tap on or add on to that would be um, people that that don't necessarily understand the beverage business who want to open their own bars. Um, A lot of times I will go into consult on a bar and I will say, okay, where's your stock room? And open the door and see that they have every flavor of every kind of vodka that's ever been created on the market. (laughs) And they have cases upon cases of slow gin. And you're just like, how many slow gin are you making? People who don't know the industry are talked into, um, what they quote unquote need by the brand reps who are just doing their own job and trying to sell cases of their product. Sure. But it's also having the wherewithal and the knowledge again of a background in business and the beverage uh, and the cons- what your consumers and what your demographic is and like what your crowd is going to drink. You don't necessarily have to have every spirit that is available on the market uh, in your storeroom, because chances are, ten years down the road, it is still going to be sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not
11: about it's not about the owner. It's not about as the owner. Like if I'm an owner and I love whiskey and I buy 200 different bottles of whiskey, but nobody in my demographic likes whiskey. It's right. not about me. You gotta find out what your guests want. You don't open a bar for yourself. You open your bar for the community, for the people, for the guests, to like make a difference and make those connections. I think that's where people open a bar because I want to be a bar owner. Well, you shouldn't open a bar. Stock that in
0: your basement bar,
10: right? Yeah. Or, or they want to be a specific bar owner. I want to be a sports bar owner. Well, maybe yeah. there's five sports bars already around your area. Be a bar owner and figure out what's not being servicing what's not servicing the community
0: absolutely so art i want to ask you what what trends are you seeing right now in the bar and nightclub business you know with bar business magazine i know you guys are following some of those kinds of things what's really kind of hot right now and are people able to easily implement it or is it one of those things where it's just taken off in a specific area
10: yeah i mean the the industry as a whole elevated So really, I mean, you look at how beautiful cocktails are. I mean, just go on Instagram. People are all posting about how beautiful the garnishes, the ice, the glassware. So everyone's really getting focused on that presentation. And that's something that that Mia and we all touched on on the stage today is, is really taking it to the next level. And we set it on stage. Individuals always ask, oh, how does social media? How do I work it? How does it work for me? Well, it works on its own. If you present something amazing and you give an experience to somebody and you invoke a feeling, they take a picture and they post it for you. So really, it's coming down to, let's make cocktails look as sexy as the plating that's right next to it. So really, we're seeing an elevation of, of education and people really wanting to dive back in the training and, and elevate their staff and invest back in their staff.
0: And do you guys all concur? I mean, are you seeing anything different from your experiences, or is that pretty much the same...
12: Yeah, I, I, think, I think that uh, the healthy halo is still continuing to grow. People are still looking at what they're putting into their bodies, which is important. Mm-hmm. So making sure that you have fresh ingredients, making sure you have ingredients that you wouldn't normally think would go into a cocktail. People can always walk into your bars and restaurants and order their beer, order their whiskey on the rocks, order their you know, vodka and sodas. That's going to always be there. But have something that's going to actually speak to the consumer of, say, of saying, wow. How are you actually putting cardamom and you know cumin and carrot all together in a drink? Yeah. That's something I would find in a, on the food side of things. So give them that wow factor when it comes to cocktails through the ingredients, through the glassware, through the garnish, something that's post-worthy, Instagram-worthy, that they can put it out there um, and show everybody you know, what they're doing. They're not going to post a, a Jack Daniels and, and Coke. You know? <laughs> right. you know what I mean? They're going to post something that's pretty crazy out there. So that's yeah. what you're looking for. Okay. And
11: I don't have fun making Jack and Cokes all yeah, night. I have more fun putting... like a really fancy beautiful cocktail down and watching the guests go whoa that's so cool i'm like oh i love it i'll make those all day i'd much rather make something that's going to
9: get a reaction yeah and and just to piggyback on um, what phil was saying is right now um, people care a lot more about what they're putting into their bodies Mm -hmm. and it, it it it's been trending with food for like the past 10 to 20 years People are now starting to care way more about the beverages that they're drinking, and they don't want the neon green fake processed ingredients or the stuff that just comes from a bottle that can sustain on a shelf for 10 years. They want the fresh ingredients. They want the fresh juices. They want the cold-pressed juices. They want fresh, 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 because more people are taking the care about what they're putting into their body.
0: Sure. Mm -hmm. And of course, always make sure that you're shaking over your shoulder. And smiling. And
12: smiling over
9: your shoulder with a smile, yes.
11: <laughs> that is how you
12: shake. Keep it sexy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
0: so um, we talked a little bit about Lisa Marie. You've been here to Portland before. Phil, you've been here to Portland before. You had a little uh, a post on your Instagram from about four years ago, right? Cheers to Portland. I
11: did. Cheers, Portland. It was a little shot glass I bought. And actually, um, right before I left to come here, my husband gave me a shot out of that shot glass and said, cheers to Portland. So uh-huh. it has been used since then. Very nice. But I actually met Art. We were doing uh, Bar Rescue, and that's how I met Art. Um, Portland's been great. It's It's got like a small town vibe. It's the like really nice. I, I love it up here. I was glad to come back.
0: Was there a particular place, and we'll just run down the line here, was there a particular place that you wanted to come back and, and go to in Portland that you missed last time? Um... Uh, you don't have to answer. That's fine. <laughs>
11: I we can edit this part out. donut. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, Portland's dancers are
1: amazing. Okay. <laughs> All right. They nice. are truly amazing. They are. I'm uh, sorry. No, they just are. Why be sorry? That's, like they are. They're that's incredible.
0: fantastic. And Mia, this is your first time. What were you looking yes, forward in fact to? This is my
9: first time. And um, embarrassingly enough, what I'm going to admit to is the fact that I was really looking forward to taking that iconic photo of my feet on the uh iconic carpet at the portland airport and i finally got to do that yay Um, so many bartenders come to uh, portland cocktail week and everyone knows about your airport and their carpet and i finally got to do that and that was the one thing i was truly looking forward to everything else is just
12: an added bonus well i'm glad we could
0: accommodate you on that one how about you phil
12: I mean, the one thing I love about Portland is how weird it is, you know, Mm. it's just, it's very weird in in a great way. So, you know, every time I come here, I actually stay away from, you know, downtown Portland and, um, not because there's weirdos there, but, um, because I'm part of that weirdo and I don't want to get sucked into it too much. (laughs) Um, but I mean, I love the, the, uh, the outdoors of Portland, you know, and the area. So I love the hiking. Um, Going out to Cannon Beach and checking out, you know, the old Goonies house and all that stuff. You know, I'm from that time time frame. Um, So I remember when I first came to Portland, I had things that I wanted to check off my list. And it was actually outside of the city. Mm -hmm. You know, really just explore, you know, what they have going on here. It's it's a beautiful place. And it actually reminds me of of Vermont. And I grew up in Mm -hmm. Vermont during high school times. Yeah. Um, So coming back here, it was kind of like, oh, I feel like I'm back in Vermont and everything's weird in Vermont, but they're more weird here in Portland and it's amazing and I love this place. Yeah, Portland's great.
0: Art, how about you?
10: No, when I I came last time, I actually wanted to make a a canyon beach run Mm -hmm. and unfortunately I looked at the weather on this trip (laughs) And it looked like it was going to be raining the entire time. So I booked myself out without an extra day. And now I'm slightly regretting that because I'm learning that Portland's weather changes very, very quickly. So when it said rain for a week, it really meant rain for two days. Now it's nice today. And it's probably going to be awesome tomorrow when I'm getting on my plane and flying out of here.
0: Yeah. Well, and in Oregon, we do stuff in the rain because you have to. Yeah. If you don't, you know, it's, uh, it's you don't do anything. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Well, you know, I have to ask your most memorable moment in Bar Rescue. We'll start with Mia. Mia, what was your most memorable moment? that's not
9: even fair. Um, There's been so (laughs) many, I mean, but I I do, there is a particular episode from just outside of San Francisco that I think I'm particularly known for. Um, And there was a misogynistic bar owner who refused to hire female bartenders and said that none of them were tall enough to reach anything on high shelves. Enter tall Mia, interspiked heels. Who then did a cocktail showdown and showed this man who was boss.
0: Whose name was Greg, I His believe. Name was
9: Greg, yes. But, hey, who am I to you know, <laughs> call back that? Anyhow, um, I do take pride in what I do, and I've worked very hard to get to where I am in this industry. I have a very strong work ethic. I've done bar competitions. I have... Trained my butt off um, in a what used to be a male-dominated industry, and to to have the recognition and the support behind me from that episode was really, really special. And it, uh, it for me that there have been a lot of memorable things, but I think that is the one that I'm known the most for, and I take pride in it.
12: That's great, <laughs> Phil. How about you? Oh Lord, um, I would probably have to say my very first episode that I've ever done. And it was in Las Vegas. And ironically, before I went in and before they started filming, I asked the producers, I said, okay, how do you want me to act? You know, how do you want me to be when I'm in there? And they just looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, just do what you do. We're just going to film it. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, this is what reality TV is. So I said, okay, I'm going to go in and do what I do. Uh, we were doing the stress test and and one of the kids um, that was part of the staff just kept making all the drinks wrong, consistently making them wrong. He would not make them right for the life, life of him, no matter what I said to him. So, you know, I said, hey, you know, let me show you how to do it again. And I started doing it and I started shaking and everybody in the bar started going crazy and he went storming off like a little baby and, you know, I just kind of looked at him and I said, hey, Justin, this is how you bartend, bro. And then he walked out and that was my very first episode and that's kind of, you know, people see me and they're just like, hey, this is how you bartend, bro. Uh, so it's, it's kind of fun. But the, the good thing is they're super successful now, so oh, they, they took everything that they learned and they're very successful. It's called the Bacon Bar in Las Vegas.
0: Knowledge, right? It's all yeah, about
12: knowledge, exactly. So this is
11: how you bartend, bro. That's your line. Mine was, "You can't cry on the pole." Oh, yeah, my my
0: you got a way better line than I do. I don't know. I think some people would argue. Yeah, that's, yeah. I can't
11: cry on the pole. <laughs> my favorite um it's hard to pick a favorite because for me um the best part is just reaching a wide audience and my passion is hospitality at the end of the day like make how you make someone feel so getting to reach a wide range of people to say that um but i guess my favorite moment is something that was not caught on camera um it was in detroit and we walked outside and there was doesn't happen a lot of episodes but people just lined up wanting to watch sure and there was a little eight-year-old girl dressed in a skirt like I wear on the show and her hair teased up as much as she could and she was holding a shaker and she's like please come over here I'm your biggest fan and I said you're really young
4: Bill tater tot
11: I hope you're shaking chocolate milk in that tin um, but it was really cool and she was just really excited she's like I want to grow up and work in a bar too and um, she was just really sweet and she's like you know I shake over here with you know with a smile and that was just a moment for me where it's like wow there's so many different people that watch this show and um just making bartending important again like i think for a long time people look at bartenders like that's what you're doing mm. when are you going to get a real job mm. right like what i mean i know my are parents for a long time
9: <laughs> was yeah. like
11: so what what do you want to be when you grow up I'm like this is what i want to do and so for me it was just this is what we do. Bartending is an amazing industry, and we have the coolest job out there. We our job is to throw a party and have people have fun, and then you give me cash in exchange. I just <laughs> I don't know anything better. Um, so I guess just all the people that it's reached and seeing the bartending industry coming back and being cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, well. I think Art, you touched on it too. That, I mean, these folks are really artists, right? I yeah. mean, they're, they're truly elevating those cocktails and, and creating something that that has that wow factor that presents as well as the food that's on the plate and that people really want to be a part of. It's a part of their experience as a customer. So, great. Anything you'd like to say to the, to the audience that's out there here? Any last words for us? I think we love Portland.
9: Love Portland and uh, keep on drinking. <laughs>
12: And That's if, great. If you, if you guys are in the industry um, and if you guys are behind the bar, don't be pretentious. You know, Like Lisa Marie said, is um, you're, be hospitable. Shake people's hands. Smile. Have a good time. I get it. We're out there. We're slinging. We're making these amazing cocktails, seven-step ingredients. We're doing infusions. We're two, three hours prep before we even start our shift. We should be respected. But remember, people go to bars to enjoy themselves. Reach your hand out. Shake them. Ask somebody sincerely, how was your day? and you're going to see a big difference. You already have all that knowledge, but change change the game a little bit and be hospitable out there.
10: And and I think I want to add one thing, that there's help out there. I think a lot of people might be listening or you guys are tangible. You're out there, you're doing consulting. Mm. There's help for any restaurant or bar owner and it's easy to get. They just have to make that call. So if you feel you're not getting enough out of your business, take the time to research one of these three and say, hey, This individual could be great for my business and how to elevate it and i think it's important that they know that helps out there
0: well for all four of you let's give a quick uh plug here so art how do people get in touch with you or how do they check out bar business magazine so
10: uh barbizmag.com my information's on there Um, it's a free subscription for the magazine right now we have over a hundred thousand bars and restaurants across the u.s reading the publication and we're covering everything from interior design to cocktails to sound lighting music i mean it's an everything magazine for someone to consistently read about what's happening in their industry. And it's just a really valuable resource. I mean, I started with only a few thousand readers and, you know, I wanted to help. And this was a way for my voice to help them. And we've, you know, we've grown and I've grown you know due to people that I'm sitting next to that have elevated me and taught me a lot on our days and we're sitting and just hanging out I mean I learn a lot from them and I hope they learn a little from me from from what I see in the industry
0: that's right Phil how about you I know you have a company your business partner
12: yeah absolutely um, you can find find me on the on the fun web with uh, you know just type in Phil wills um, Instagram Twitter Facebook all that Sometimes stuff I pop up. And sometimes Mia will pop up. If tall you Mia. Google Phil Wills, you might find Mia, which is very weird. <laughs> um, I don't know how the algorithms work, but go ahead and uh, find me on all social media aspects. But my, my business is Um We're a consultancy, so I have my business partner, and we have a few people that work under us. Um, and we're we're going into the tech side of things, too, which is something brand new. It's called techinmotion.com. So you can check out com and techinmotion.com.
0: Great. And tall Mia? Your Twitter uh, yeah, handle? Tall
9: Mia is, uh, in fact, uh, with, uh, Twitter is actually Tall underscore Mia, <laughs> and Instagram is Tall Mia. And um, uh, if you're looking to actually get in touch with me, I am Mia Mixalot at gmail.com.
8: What?
9: <laughs> <laughs> you
11: can um, look up Lisa Marie Joyce. I'm on all social media just as Lisa Marie Joyce. And, um, or you can email me at joyce.lisamarie at yahoo.com. Um, Yahoo! Yeah. Yahoo! Yes, yes. All the Yahoo's. Um, but I do LMJ Consulting, so if you need training or ideas, just reach out. Send me a message over Instagram, whatever. I, I check it all a lot.
0: Great. Lisa Marie Joyce, Mia Mastriani, Phil Wills, Art Sutley, thank you so much for joining us in 2019. Thank you, so thank you Portland. Appreciate it very much. Great to have you guys here with thank us. You.